Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. I want you to think what happens when you hear this phrase in your house. It's time to clean up. Whether it was your mom who said it or maybe you're the one who said it, there's a certain fear that strikes in kids everywhere of it's time to clean up. And I don't know what it's like in your house, but in my house, we got one kid that we're going to leave the names out that runs to the bathroom. One kid magically has homework. One kid magically has something outside they need to do. And if it's like me, I just cleaned yesterday, so why do we need to clean again? And there's this escapism that, that, that dwells on all of us when it's time to clean up. Now, there are a few of you in here that enjoy cleaning, and God bless you. It's probably your spiritual gift. Um, But for the rest of us, we want to escape the moment we hear those words. There's a prophet in the Old Testament that the moment he heard the words from God, the first thing that he could think of was, how do I get out of this situation? His name was Jonah, and if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start looking for it now. Uh, There's no shame in looking in the table of contents. It will take you a few moments to find, simply because it's usually on about one page in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. We'd love to give that to you. But Jonah is a prophet that was told one thing by God. And the only thing he could think about was, how do I get out of here? And how do I escape this this job that's been given to me? And Jonah is an incredible book of the Bible. If you've never read it, I'd encourage you for the next, basically three weeks after this, we'll be going through the entire book. God used the book of Jonah to completely change my life 18 years ago. And it gave me a new picture of who God was, or it is, It helped me understand his love for for me and for other people, and so I'm hoping it does the same for you over these next several weeks. But Jonah is one of those books where you mention it, and there's some people that are like, I don't even think I can trust Jonah, right? That's a weird, weird deal, because he gets swallowed by a fish. And so what I'd like to do before we get into the book of Jonah is just go, look, you don't have to take my word for it, but Jesus, of all people, when the Pharisees asked him for a sign, Do you know who he referenced? Jonah. So since Jesus predicted his own death, predicted his own ascension and resurrection, and he pulled all of that off, it would seem that we should probably listen to what Jesus says because Jesus linked his life to Jonah in a way that he did with no other prophet. He linked his life to Jonah in a way he did with no other person that I can think of because if you look at Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, after the Pharisees asked for a sign, Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm gonna show you a sign, right? He says, this is the only sign you're gonna get. And in Jonah, or in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, it says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone greater than Jonah is here. So if you don't believe me and you struggle to believe your Bible, if you claim to believe in Jesus, you're going to have to believe in Jonah, because Jesus believed in Jonah. And not only did Jesus believe in Jonah, it doesn't say like, kind of like he was in a fish. It says, for as Jonah was in the belly of a fish. Jesus absolutely thought Jonah was real. He referenced him. Matter of fact, a little known fact about Jonah, Jonah and Jesus grew up within five miles of each other. Now, there was 
700 years apart, but Jonah just lived down the street. Matter of fact, Jesus probably walked past Jonah's grave on more than one occasion. And so the thing with Jonah is it's not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is not about him. It's not about the fish even. He only mentions the fish four times. It's not about Nineveh. He only mentions Nineveh nine times. It's not even about Jonah. Jonah's only mentioned 18 times in 47 verses. But what it is about is God. The book of Jonah is about God, plain and simple. 38 times in 47 verses, God is mentioned. And so as we look to the book of Jonah, I hope you can, can help me work through the concerns you may have. And we're going to talk next week when he gets swallowed by the fish of what do you do with that? How did that happen? Why is that important? But for today, I hope you know that the book of Jonah is about a loving, patient, pursuing, persistent God. Now, Jonah is what's referred to as a minor prophet, and that doesn't mean he wasn't important. It just means that his time on earth and his job specifically was pretty limited in scope. You have some of the major prophets of the Old Testament, like Jeremiah or Isaiah, whose ministry went on for years. But for Jonah, he had one job. Matter of fact, Scripture only records one other time that Jonah had to do anything, and that was to, to preach to Jeroboam, and that was short-lived. And so he had one job, go and preach against the pe to the people of Nineveh, and Jonah didn't want to do it, and he was out of there as fast as my kids are out of the room when they say it's time to clean up. The other difficult part of Jonah's life is, I, I hope you see some of these corollaries. I'm not going to point them all out, but I hope you get a chance to think through them. Jonah had a job, which was to go and tell people about God. We have a job, go and tell people about God. And Jonah was terrified that he had to go because, you know why? Because he had to go to the Assyrian people, he had to go to Nineveh. Now, if you don't know anything about the Assyrian people, it's true that the Romans perfected crucifixion, but you know where they got the idea? The Assyrians. So they got the idea of crucifixion from the Assyrians and then the Romans just said, well, let's see how we can make this worse, right? The Assyrians were some of the most ruthless, impetuous people on the planet, and God sees that, and it comes up before him, and he says, look, Jonah, you got to go and talk to these people. So the other thing that's interesting about Jonah is a lot of the prophets were to go back to the people of Israel. Tell the people of Israel this, turn and do this, or you're gonna, not going to like it. But Jonah goes to non-Israelites, and Jonah's job is to go out to the people who he hates the most, the people that he did not like. If you have your Bibles Go ahead and open to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter real quick just so we understand what's going on. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. It said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God, and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and fallen into a deep sleep. Fell into a deep sleep, excuse me. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah and so they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country and from what people are you? 
He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked him, well, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And he said, well, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea had grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not hold us, or do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice and made vows to him that day. Jonah is an interesting book because it shows us so many things about the Lord. It shows us his sovereign plan over everything. It shows us that we can have great confidence in God because he knows and sees everything, right? He sees injustice in the world. If you look at verse two, it says that the wickedness of Nineveh came up before him. He noticed it. He saw it. It's something that he cares about. And it's interesting that God's first response is not to necessarily judge the nation or the city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. His first thing is, is Jonah, go tell them about me. And we see God's grace even evident in this, at the beginning of the story of Jonah, that we can have great confidence in God because he knows and sees everything. Jonah also shows us that God will use whatever is necessary. He will use a storm. He will use a fish. We'll find out later he'll use a plant. He will use anything that you can think is just ridiculous to help you see what he wants you to see. And then also Jonah, Jonah helps us answer the question that we're all asking, but we never say. And that is the question of does God know best or do I? We're asking that question all the time. When you struggle to trust God, you're asking the question, does God know best or do I? And you may never verbalize that, but that's what's coming out. That's what comes out in Jonah's heart. That's what comes out in my heart. That's what comes out in, in your heart as well. Does God know best or do I? And so in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, we find out that Jonah, it says in verse 3 that Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, in case you didn't realize this, God is everywhere. You cannot escape God. But Jonah, and for whatever reason, decided this was a great idea to try and escape God. And I, and I want to show you on a map of where he was supposed to go and then where he ended up going. And so behind me, you'll see on the screen, you'll see a map that shows that he was supposed to leave his hometown and go to Nineveh, which is modern-day Iraq. Instead, he goes down a ways and heads the exact opposite to the other end of the known world. So it's in his mind, he's getting as far away from God as you could possibly get. As far away. All he had to do was leave his hometown near Nazareth and head to Mosul, Iraq, which is where it's at. Nineveh is where, is where it's at. And instead, he leaves modern-day Israel and he goes all the way to Spain. The exact opposite direction. Now, Jonah doesn't realize this at the time. Uh, we have the benefit of learning from Jonah. There's going to be a lot of things, by the way, that we're going to learn from Jonah. One is you can't run, outrun God. Number two, he sees everything. 
So in spite of Jonah's best attempt to get away from the Lord, we find out that this does not really work, and we're going to find out something else about Jonah. And here's the thing you need to understand. Jonah goes down, and he leaves his home in Nazareth. He goes down to Joppa, where he found a ship, and he had the money to pay for the ship. The first thing you need to understand today is that allowance doesn't necessarily mean approval. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Jonah, if you can imagine, God tells him, you need to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes, I don't want to go to Nineveh. He starts to go down to Joppa, modern-day Tel Aviv. He gets down there, and if you can imagine how this plays out in Jonah's head, look at this. I had a smooth trip down from Nazareth to Joppa. It only took, you know, a day. It usually takes two days, and we made it here. And then I happened to have the right amount of money to pay the fare to get on the boat, and I happened, look, there's a boat right here that's ready to go. And in Jonah's mind, he had to think, well, God's, God's okay with this. He's allowing this to happen, so that must mean he's okay with it. But that is not necessarily the case. You see, we should consistently be seeking the Lord for what's best and what he would want in our lives. And if we're honest this morning, most of us are totally fine asking the question, God, are you okay with this, when things are, are, are tough. But on a good day, we're just like, everything's great. It's all working out. It all must be okay. God must be okay with this. Here's the thing, God will let you perhaps walk away, and it may seem like it's his approval, but just because God allows Jonah to head this way doesn't mean that God approves of it. And when you're running away from God and what he wants, it's easy to justify your actions to yourself, and it's easy for it to even seem like it comes naturally because we're clouded by sin. Jonah had one really specific command, go to Nineveh. And he's like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. And so he starts on this journey, and at first he probably has to think, man, this is, this is working out great. I got money, I got the boat, I made it down here in time, everything's going to work out. But we find out that God is not okay with what he did in verses 4 and 5. It says, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. A better translation of the word sent, the Lord sent a great wind, back to the original Hebrew, is that he literally picked up a storm and hurled it at Jonah. And at, some, at first we look at this and go, wait a minute, why is God taking this so seriously? That God would hurl a storm towards Jonah. Which brings us to the next thing that you need to understand, which is one thing that I learned 18 years ago, and that is that God relentlessly pursues those that he loves. He does not give up on you. He will keep coming after you. And if you find yourself in the midst of a storm today, one of the questions you're gonna have to recognize and, and wrestle with is that God loves you so much that he's willing to hurl a storm your way to wake you up to the fact that he loves you. And God relentlessly pursues Jonah, and he relentlessly pursues, pursues you and me. And he throws this storm at Jonah, and it was such a violent storm that it threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. Now, I don't know if you've ever hung around sailors before. These guys don't typically get afraid in a storm. They may have some choice words for that storm. They may, um, they may act all big and tough, but these guys were afraid. They were so afraid that they threw their cargo overboard. Now, a sailor's job is to get cargo from A to B. So they're so afraid that the ship is going to break up. And the other thing that's interesting is that they're, they're praying. 
But Jonah's sleeping. Jonah's just down in the bottom sleeping. The dangerous part of disobedience towards God is that it can often affect others. These sailors, they just were like, we're going to sail from Joppa to Tarshish today. It's going to be a pretty good day. Weather looks great. And then all of a sudden, a storm gets hurled towards them because of what? Because of what Jonah did. We see this throughout the Bible where people choose to disobey God and it actually ends up hurting other people. And that's one thing that if you follow the Lord at any time at all, you recognize that our sin often doesn't just hurt us. It hurts the people around us. And Jonah, as he's sitting there thinking, well, I'm gonna get away, he's gone down below deck and he fell into a deep sleep. And the sailors asked him in verse, or the captain asked him in verse six, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. It's interesting that the sailors were praying, but the prophet was not. The sailors were praying to their own gods, and the prophet was sleeping. If you want a clue of where you're at when your relationship with the Lord, if you have to be reminded to pray in a time of need, you might not quite be where you want to be. Right? And much to my own um, embarrassment, I've had opportunities like that where people are like, we should pray. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that? Right? Because I'm so focused on myself. Or I'm so focused on the storm. Or I'm so focused on everything else. And so the sailors are all crying out to their own gods. And Jonah's down there taking a nap. And then the captain wakes him up and says, hey, why are you not praying? It says they cast lots, which was a familiar way of deciding who's fault it is. I would not recommend this now. Um, if you're doing this as a family, like, hey, we're going to throw some rocks in a bag and pull out and see who it is. But this is the way they did it in the, in the Middle East, and they did it all the way up until Acts chapter 1, which is the last recorded time we see in Scripture that they cast lots for anything. After that, we have the benefit of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us and to direct us into what God would want. But for them, they cast lots to decide who it was and guess whose fault it was. It was Jonah's. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible, verse 8, for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The sailors are trying to connect the dots. They're like, we were forecasted great weather. We've got this epic storm on us. Whose fault is it? They're asking Jonah, what do you do? Well, I'm a prophet. What's that mean? Well, I was sent by God or supposed to go to this place, and I didn't want to do that, so I came onto the boat here with you guys, and they're starting to connect the dots. Like, oh, you're the guy. It's your fault. You're the reason that we're in the midst of this incredible storm. The other thing that's really scary about Jonah, and if I could just be frank this morning, is scary for us as well, is that Jonah was content to worship God but not obey him. Take a look at verse 9. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He was content to say, yeah, I love God, but I'm not going to obey him. And that's a dangerous place to be. When we're willing to recognize God that, look, he made the sea, the dry land, he did all this, but I'm not ready to obey what the Lord wants for my life. That's a scary, scary place to be. And if that's you today, I would just encourage you to reevaluate that. Because if we're really going to worship the Lord, we'll obey the Lord. And Jonah was content to tell them. And look at what happens in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, they hear this and they're terrified. 
This terrified them. They said, well, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them he was running away. If anyone ever verbally tells you they're running from God, I would encourage you to run the other way. But most people aren't going to do that. Most people aren't going to be like, Monday was great. Tuesday was a little rough. Wednesday, I started running from God, right? That's not how the conversation normally goes. But we can see it in ourselves. We can see it in, in, in one another where we go, wait a minute. The idea to get on the boat wasn't a good idea, Jonah. The idea to, to stay on the boat wasn't a good idea, Jonah. And you can see that God is relentlessly pursuing them because he uses the sailors and the captains and people who don't even love the Lord to sit there and try and wake Jonah up to what he's doing. And so thankfully, God does put people around us that help us. It says that this terrified him. A couple of reasons why it could have terrified him. Um, the world was pretty small at that time, and it wasn't that far removed from Elijah. Remember when Elijah killed all the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? That wasn't that far removed from this time. Remember when David uh, defeated Goliath and, and David did all of his great things against Saul? This, this was not that far removed. They had heard of the Hebrew God. They'd heard of all the other gods. And they were fully aware that the Hebrew God meant business, that he was not a God like some of the other gods. And so this terrified them on top of the fact that he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. So the sailors aren't stupid. They're putting the pieces together and they figure out that it's Jonah. And Jonah knew who was in control. Jonah knew this storm was from him. And then Jonah also knew what to do. Take a look at verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, right? God's relentlessly pursuing them. Had Jonah just said, time out, God. I give up. The storm would have quit. But God comes after him. He makes the sea rougher and rougher. In verse 12, it says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, verse 13, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Right? God's pursuing them, coming back. They're gonna make this even rougher and harder, Jonah. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. I know all the press goes to Jonah because he ends up in the fish, but we got to take a step back and say, look at these sailors. They're concerned. They're concerned more for Jonah's life than Jonah's concerned for Jonah's life. And the sailors, for whatever reason, they take a step back and they say, wait a minute, God, please don't hold us accountable for this guy. Something pretty cool happens to the sailor. We'll see it in just a moment. But have you ever been in a rowing competition with God? Because that's what these guys were doing. Right? And we've all been in rowing competitions with God. Right? God, I want to do it my way. God, I want this to work out in the, in the time frame that I want it to work out with. And we find ourselves just rowing and rowing. And these sailors found themselves rowing and rowing and they couldn't get anywhere. Matter of fact, it grew even wilder from before. So the storms intensified three different times by this point. Because God is relentless in the pursuit of those that he loves. And so he comes after him and he comes after him and he won't let up because he wants Jonah to realize one really important thing. But in the midst of all of this, the sailors are taking this all in, which is a great reminder. The people around you this week are watching how you handle your life. And one of the greatest testimonies you may ever give is how you handle suffering or how you handle success 
or how you handle the things that come your way because there is a watching world. It's been said that there are seven people watching you at any given time, which is pretty creepy if you think about it for much longer than a few seconds. But if you think about that, if there's seven people watching you all the time, there's somebody always watching you. And those people are watching the way. These sailors are sitting here watching. Okay, he said he was running away from the Lord. Not a good call, but we're okay with it. Lord, please don't hold us accountable for this man's life. And they're watching and seeing what's happening. The great news is, is that God in his graciousness and in his goodness gives us little storms throughout life to kind of figure out how this works out. If you can think of this as called a shaped disorder, I think. And the storms start really young as a kid, right? And as a little kid, provided you have the dexterity and you have the willingness to try and put the shapes in the right hole, right? As a little kid, when I watched my kids play with this, I saw a storm brewing, right? One, because they're toddlers and a tantrum was about to brew and they couldn't get the one in the right hole. But I didn't didn't help them through every single one. I didn't say, I showed them one or two. And then it was up to them to kind of work through that, right? God sent the storm for them, and that's their storm. And thankfully, in God's goodness and grace, he kind of prepares us along the way for what we're about to encounter. So the storm for a, a two- or three-year-old is, is here with the shape sorter. Then it, then it gets a little bit bigger, though, because the storm for my seven-year-old when we were coming back from Florida was an actual storm. I'll never forget driving through Nashville, Tennessee, and, you know, we're all pocket meteorologists now, and so Shelly and I are looking at our phones like, oh, it's just going to be some bad rain, and it was pretty rough, and from the back of my car, I just hear my daughter yell, we're all going to die, <laughs> right? So, so God starts out, and we get a, a little storm. He's going to send some stuff our way. Right? And the shape sorter might be really hard for you still, but you're going to get it. And then the next one is, is that there's a, a real storm, like a, a literal physical rainstorm that comes your way. And you learn that you can trust God and that you can trust your parents and that things are going to work out. And then we get a little bit older. And for those of you who are students, you just figured out there was a big storm. It was called finals. Now, time out. You know those are coming every year. There will be storms in your life that you don't know are coming. But it always blew my mind how suddenly they would show up in the last week of May and just think their world had upended because they found out there was a test that was coming, even though they knew about it since August. Right? And God in his goodness allows these little things into our lives. Some inconvenience. It gets a little bit worse, right? You, what job do I choose? Do I get married? Or how do I find somebody to marry? What do I do about, uh, I want a better job. My mom is sick and dying. My, my friend is, is struggling in their marriage. And we see these storms that God sends our way. And if we looked at the shape sorter, we'd go, that's not a big deal. But storms are like surgeries. They're never a big deal until they happen to you. Right? I will pray for you for whatever surgery you have, but it doesn't really affect me much. But if I had a surgery, oh boy. I would call an all-night prayer meeting, right? Because it's happening to me. Well, storms, when you're in the middle of them, it matters. And so we look at the shape sorter and we're like, that storm's crazy. What would God be doing? He's trying to teach him. Thankfully, he's good and he's gracious. But here's what I want you to know. God will send a variety of storms your way to protect you from the biggest storm of all, which is yourself. Can you see how God is doing that even in Jonah's life? 
He relentlessly pursues Jonah, and he's gonna send some things your way. I, I hope not, but maybe even this week to protect you from the biggest storm of all, which is yourself. Because at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to for Jonah. Jonah did not wanna go to Nineveh. We're gonna find this out in week three and week four. He did not wanna go to Nineveh because one, he didn't like them, and two, he thought he knew better than God. And so God says, okay, you wanna play that game? We'll play that game. Go ahead, get on the boat. Go ahead. And we're all like, oh, I got on the boat. God must be okay with, no, 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 no. Get on the boat. Let me hurl a storm towards you. And why would God do that? I think for Jonah, and I think for you and me, is to save us from the biggest storm of all, which is ourself. And self has got to go away, and God loves you enough to send a storm your way to wake you up. Now, there are other storms as well, and I don't want to, some may say, well, that's hyper-spiritualizing every, no, that's recognizing the sovereignty of God. That's recognizing that every single thing that happens in your life is an opportunity for God to get the glory and ultimately for your good. And so we can look at the storms, and some of them, quite frankly, are for us in our selfishness. Some of them are for that we would rely on God more. And there's about 700 other possibilities of why God could allow a storm into your life. And I don't want to give you all of those because I believe that God can give you the answer for what those might be. Take a look at uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 15. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. The guys didn't want, the sailors didn't want to do it, right? They did not want to throw him overboard. Lord, please don't hold us accountable for this guy's life. Please don't do it. But at the end of the day, they decided our safety or this crazy guy, and he got the boot. And the sea grows absolutely calm. Jonah, as he's processing this, I'm sure, well, we're gonna talk more about how he processes it next week, but for now, look what happens in verse 16, because in spite of Jonah's selfishness, and quite frankly ours, God never stops pursuing Jonah, and he never stops pursuing you. And along the way, the sailors take notice. Remember that point I said earlier that, that people around us are watching this? At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him that day. Whatever happened in Jonah's life, that storm that was meant for him, the people around him recognized who God was, and they made vows to him that day. And they, we don't know what happened to him after this, but we know that this woke them up to who God was is and was. It says that they greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made a vow to him that day. I don't think the men on the boat ever got over that day. How could you? They tried everything that they knew in their sailor minds to do. Change the sails, throw stuff overboard. The least likely of scenarios, by the way, if you're a captain or a sailor, is to throw the people overboard, right? That is, this is not usually on the checklist going down through there. Life raft, check. Throw people, no, that's not on there. And so these guys, their, their entire world was shaped by this event. And so can I just encourage you with whatever you're going through today that the people around you are watching you and God might be using the way that you respond to the storms in your life to wake people up to who he is. Here's the crazy thing. God was sending Jonah to Nineveh and he didn't want to do it. He's like, I'm going to get away from God. He runs the other way. 
But look what God did. God redeemed even this storm in Jonah's life. And God changed the life of these sailors, possibly forever. And so God's going to do what God's going to do. The question is, are you going to be a part of it? Because he is. He's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. The question is, are we going to submit ourselves to what God wants because we know at the end of the day that it is best. And so if you're in the midst of a, a storm today, I want you to think through a few things as we wrap up our time today. One of the best questions that you can ask the Lord is what do you want me to see? What do you want me to see? God, what do you want me to see? Because the first question we normally ask is why, right? Why am I in this storm? Why are you doing this to me? What is happening? And one of the best questions we can ask is what do you want me to see? Because here's the really cool part. I believe that right now, even in this room this morning, that the Holy Spirit can direct each and every one of us in a specific storm or a specific situation in our life of exactly what we need to do and how we need to respond. Because he's big enough to do that. And so if you're in the midst of that, I want you to think through that. Maybe you're not in a storm today, and I want you to think through a few of these here as we wrap up. Is there a habit you need to change? Is there something in your life that God wants you to do? I just encourage you right here, right now, just ask him. God, is there something that you're trying to get my attention? Like, I just thought it was a bad week, but is there something you want me to change? Is there a relationship you need to reconcile? Is there a seriousness about the Lord that you need to take this week so that you're as serious about the Lord as we are about other things? And lastly, can I just ask you if you're running from God? Are you running from God? Because he's not going to give up on you. And you can keep rowing harder. You can throw things more overboard. You can get rid of all the things in your life. But at the end of the day, he's going to catch you. And so I would just beg you now, stop. Just stop. Tell the Lord whatever you want to tell him, but, but stop. Because I believe that God loves you enough and pursues us enough to help him see how indeed great he is. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for today and your word. And the reminder from your word today that you pursue Jonah and you pursue us. And God, you never give up, even when we do. God, I pray for the people here today that might have a habit that needs to change and maybe you've brought that to their mind even now. That God, that you would give them the courage to make a change. And Father, you'd help them to seek somebody out that can help hold them accountable and that you would give them the grace they need to do something different. God, I pray for those who are struggling with relationships with friends or family. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to take that step as well to be reconciled. And God, I pray specifically for those who may be running from God, from, it, from you. And God, I pray that you would help them to see that they need to stop. They need to surrender, and they need to trust you. If that's you today, I pray that you would get, have the courage to talk to somebody. I'll hang around here afterwards today. But God, I pray that you would direct our hearts to what we need to do. We thank you for your word. It's possible to illuminate and help shine a light on the darkness that's in us. And God, I thank you for sending storms into our life that help protect us from the biggest storm of all, which is ourself. So God, I pray that in the weeks to come as we travel with Jonah, 
and we discover what's going on in his life, God, that you'd give us the courage to change what we need to change in our own lives. In Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.